Thank you for having good equipment. That is so fantastic. If you don't now, do do you podcast? Yeah, it's it's wild to me how many people just show up and they're like, oh, I needed to I needed to care about the mic. And I'm like, I mean, I guess you didn't need to. It just sounds like you're in a truck, but it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, you can see I've got a whole oh wow setup back there. So yeah, oh, that's awesome. Um, but thank you for doing this with me. Oh, thanks for making the time. Um, I've I've watched forty five minutes into or forty minutes into Hyena, and it's so good. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney and am uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. <laughs> I'd like to welcome our guest, Denver-based comic Ben Roy. Originally from the, quote, racist inland of Maine, also known as Winthrop, Ben has been based in Denver since 1999, which is where he took to comedy after growing up playing in punk bands. A regular at Denver's Comedy Works, Ben was selected as a new face at the JFL Just for Laughs Festival, and comedy became his vocation, which is so hard to do, y'all. We'll get into it. Ben's newest special, Hyena, is ready for public consumption on August 10th of this year. Much of Hyena was written during the depths of the pandemic, which changed the world irreversibly, according to Ben. Just Ben. No one else feels that way. He said, quote, it's become clear just how fucked we are. Our population has made us far too big to move in any one cohesive direction. We're sort of like the Titanic now. Our size has made it far too difficult to avoid any one sudden catastrophe. I believe what will happen will now happen. It's best to just laugh and enjoy what remains. Well, that's dark but true. So Ben, why is your special called Hyena? What made you shift from the punk rock scene you were in since you were 15 into the vastly less accepting world of comedy? Tell us, tell us, tell us. I, well, I called it Hyena because I feel like uh, things are dying or we've killed them. And uh, so now I'm just kind of feeding off the bits of it and just just sort of laughing at it um, or trying to laugh at it, <laughs> trying to find humor in it because it's, it's, uh, it's very sad what we've done. And I emphasize we because uh, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm contributed uh, heavily to our... our uh, planet's demise, but yeah. Um, so it's a, it, this makes it sound like I'm a lot like sadder <laughs> than I am. Yeah, I can confirm the special is very funny. So I just went in uh, hard, but but keep going, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I I appreciate that, but um, I you know I I played I I've always played in bands. Music is it was the first way I I knew how to deal with pain or things I was confused about. Um, I, I jokingly, I lovingly say that about inland Maine, that I grew up in the in the racist center of Maine. But it, like, I just grew up in a very rural area and there wasn't a, a, an economy. So music just became my outlet for everything in a way to express myself. And I think I got into stand-up because I wanted to scratch the itch of performing and I was playing in a band at the time and it's very difficult to perform as much as you want in a band because of coordinating everybody's schedules. So it felt like stand-up was a way to scratch the performance itch and the ability to write and create things. 
um, and do it sort of on my own schedule and at my own pace. Uh, so it was just another outlet, uh, you know, for, for, to, to be able to continue creating things. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't like a, I, I never thought I would be a comedian. I just, my, my, my ex-wife, uh, my, my son's mom, she got a job when we first moved to Colorado, uh, together from Maine. She, she got a job at a comedy club working part-time. And so she was like doing the IDs at the door and walking people to their seats. Cause she was only like. 21 and I was 22 or 23 and just through over hanging out with the staff and watching the shows um, like a, a manager convinced me to give it a shot just to try a new talent night and for, that kind of just changed the trajectory of my life it was not like a, a planned thing um, I think you're being kind of humble I was, because I would imagine that the manager saw you and heard you being funny. I doubt he just or he or she just went up to you and was like, "You look cool. Want to do this?" Uh, no, well, I we we hung out with the staff, everybody, because she she worked there, so she, we would party with everybody. And yeah, I would joke and cut up and 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 uh, this manager at the time, who I always give credit because I would not have done stand up if it weren't for her. her. Name is Christy Carlin. She was like you should try new talent night, like give it a shot, you know? And I was, I, I had done theater, theater and music were like big in high school. So like being on stage was not foreign. It wasn't an, an uncomfortable thing for me. So it was more just the learning curve of writing jokes. Um, and one, and in an essence, one-sided conversations, which, which is what it's, what standup is. Uh, is is how do you how do you have a one sided conversation with an entire room of people? Um, so yeah, it, it was very fortuitous. It was not a it was not a planned thing. I feel like that's kind of what how it happens for people who are meant to be in it is just the beacon of light keeps shining on you. And even if you're like, no, I'm like, I want to do other stuff. I just think for some people, that's the that's the channel that you're called to be in. That's really neat. I think, too, like growing up in an area like I did where it was very macho. There's a you know, it's it's a very like rural area. It's a, uh, a lot of tough people saw a lot of fights and. I um, struggled with what my definition of being a, um, a dude is or masculine. And uh, uh, this was performance was that side where I was free to express other things and people accepted it, you know, and uh, um, it was a yeah, it was a it was a way to be emotive and not uh, worry that I was going to be judged for it or be you know uh called a pussy as people would call you know what i mean like you know it was a, it was a, a way to be more open did you um, feel that pressure where you came where you grew up of you know there was a very sort of east coast traditional sense of what being a quote-unquote man was did you feel that yeah. pressure yeah oh for sure and i've been very public about this so it's not like but i don't want to bring this down but it, like i had some stuff happen to me when i was a kid that um through the catholic church and i was always struggling with my masculinity like and um so i think like uh i was always a very emotional kid and i and i was very anxious and that's viewed as weakness 
And so I rebelled against that and met people who were uh, toxic, dudes that were very toxic, and tried to take on that thing, but it always looked weird on me. I'm not, I'm not a tough guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, theater and music were the first things that I ever did where I was applauded for speaking my emotions, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yes. yeah. And um, where I was encouraged, even if it was angry, you know, it was punk and hardcore music, um, I could still express sadness and longing or, or whatever. And it wasn't like, ah, oh, you're being a fucking, what's your fucking problem? Toughen up. <laughs> it was like it came through humor. I did a lot of humor parts in theater. It was always a funny character. Or in music, it was always angry and dudes can relate to anger even though I'm just talking about rejection and you know what I mean? So um, it was a way to vent that and feel as if I was accepted for it. That's such a beautiful way of saying it. Did you feel like when you started doing theater that you had to kind of be secretive about it? Cause you like, you know, you might get like a bunch of shit from the people in, in the area where you grew up or was it like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You're doing theater now. No, like I think our theater program in our school, like, it was such a small school. We, we didn't really have like a traditional, um, like we, we didn't have a designated auditorium with seats, like fixed seats. And it was in the gymnasium and it was a stage at the back of it. And then my teacher actually built, he, he, he took up half of a classroom building a black box. And it was the funniest. He was the best. And there was, you were only supposed to be able to take it your senior year as an elective but I weaseled my way into it my freshman year. And then I took it every year through then. And now my first time on stage, it was a funny part and it made everybody laugh. And everybody, you know, like I became known as the clown, like the funny kid, you know, like I I got class clown in my senior superlatives. Me too. You know, like, yeah, 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 exactly. We get that. Like, yeah, but humor was a bridge. It was a... Mm. Uh, uh, like a, for lack of a better term, a lingua franca, right? It was like this thing that connected with everybody. Uh, that and if you made jocks and rednecks and uh, the the druggy kids laugh, then you know um, you were uh, cool. I you know it's funny. I've not talked a ton about this stuff recently. Like I've been going to therapy and trying to like reframe my past. You know what I mean? Like uh, that kind of a thing. So. That's amazing. Um, Can, yeah. Since you're being so honest and open, and this is my favorite type sure. of shit, I love this kind yeah. of interview because so many people are guarded. Um, you talk in your special about being 12 years sober at the time of shooting. Are you comfortable talking about sobriety now? I would, yeah, totally. So what was, because was uh, in comedy and in the punk scene, getting sober, like I guess being sober is kind of a punk rock thing to do in a world where everybody's using, but in comedy, it's really hard to be sober. So how, what was that like yeah. for you? I think just in performance, um, I mean, let's let's just be honest. I mean, it's in every aspect of life. Substance abuses, there were plumbers with problems. Lawyers have insanely high cops. You know, it's, I think um, we just talk very openly about it and we mine it for, um, or we fall in love with it, which was definitely the thing that I did, which is you learn to, 
love your misery and you think that it makes you interesting and it's the only thing that'll uh, you, you it fuels your art it's this is a substrate from everything that my and it's all it's ever done is hinder me yeah i mean i just i grew up in the northeast where i learned to drink problematically and you learn from watching uh the moms and fathers who drink problematically the kids learn to just tolerate it and in that there becomes a tacit acceptance of drinking terribly and being a shitty person when you drank and I think I I started drinking early because I was angry and I had a lot of anxiety and I was I had panic attacks very early on as a kid so I just started um, learning to to party to to cope with it and uh, yeah I fucked everything up <laughs> like <laughs> I started doing stand up and I came out of the gates really well I had I didn't like bomb my first times. It was when my ego, because I already knew how to be on stage. Like I, that, that was a big part of it. And I knew how to write because I'd been writing poetry and songs. So I knew like go up on stage and write, like have, know what you're going to say, recite something. So I did that. It was afterwards when I started to get a little bit of attention. It fed this broken part of myself and I started to just drink too much at shows I got kicked out of the pretty much every club in Colorado <laughs> for a short period of time I was not allowed and uh my son was born in March of 2005 and there's something weird like when kids come out they're very reflective like and I don't mean they reflect upon themselves they reflect you back at you and all of a sudden you're like fuck I'm ugly I'm just an like I'm an ugly person and I like I I didn't drink around him but I definitely like the the night that I stopped drinking he just I was getting wasted he had fallen asleep and I was in an argument with his wife and I remember wake with my wife and I, uh, his wife he was married at the time <laughs> listen start him young I get it <laughs> now and uh, it's Maine it's a different type of thing we do there we get him out early get a piece of land get a lady uh no we uh I woke up like I came out of my blackout to see him standing in the doorway watching me just shouting and being a tyrant and I woke up, passed out on the floor, and I realized they had to step over me to get out of his room because I passed out in front of his door, and I was done. I just remember being like, um, my dad grew up in a, and mom grew up in very alcoholic families, and I remember them talking about how much they hated their folks, and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. So I just called my job, and I was like. I, I have a problem with alcohol. I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to get help. And uh, they, thankfully, I worked for a Canadian company <laughs> in a call center. And um, they were like, that's, hey, that's okay. You know, you got to do what you, <laughs> you got to do, go, go, uh, go Hebs. Uh, but anyway, but no, they were like, you got to go, uh, you got to do what you got to do. And they were very supportive of me getting help. And um, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, 13 years now, because that was filmed last year. So. Hell yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Do you not drink? Are you sober? Yeah, I don't drink. I yeah, and and I'm uh, I'm not California sober. I'm just totally. I'm just very. I started to notice like I was like, okay, I want my career to shift. What's the thing I have to shift? And I was like, I'll just give up drinking and see uh, what can happen. And it's um, I'm I think I'm I'm coming up on a year just to see. And it's been it's changed my whole life. Like, and I didn't really think like I wasn't. It's just that problematic drinking runs in my family and so I was always the one who was like everybody else has a problem and I was like let me let me not tell people about themselves while I have a glass of wine in my hand like that's mm, mm-hmm. the, the hypocrisy is is real so I was like let me mm, let me and so I basically quit drinking so I could tell people about themselves I'm very selfish um yeah so it's I love <laughs> I love hearing stories and like the fact that you're willing to share so honestly it's like it's life-saving share this this type of sharing is my it's just my favorite shit I could talk to you for three hours I, about I this like we've that we all know blah 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 stigma like all of that um i think alcohol is an especially funny one because there are so many watermarks uh you 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 like i'm not i'm not up to there you know you're like looking at someone else and that's exactly what i did because i have friends who are incredibly destructive um but i knew the whole time that I just didn't know um, how to have a rout- a weekly routine without drinking in it. I didn't know how to uh, be angry uh, without going to a bar and having a cigarette and drinking. And I, you can become addicted to anger. It's very easy. There's a lot of dopamine. You know what I mean? Like you're oh, yes. flooded with all that shit, and you get a high off it. I don't care what anybody says. Like it's it's a, it's intoxicating to be mad. Oh yes. Depressed. Oh yes. Uh, or anxious even. Well, um, and it can become an identity too. I think if you're like the like, oh, that's the person we can go to. Like I have a temper, and so it's like, oh, if you want, you know, if you want a, a, a how would you say it? Like a partner in rage, go to Kate, tell her something. She'll get riled up about it too. And I was like, that's not, that's not a good, that's not what I want to be known for. So I'm going to need to address that too. Partner in rage? Heck yeah. That's, that's the title sounds sweet. I mean, we can talk about that. Partner in rage. Uh, I think I played bass in partner in rage. Uh, Probably best band ever. Yeah, they were so good. Um, I love it. Yeah, uh, congrats on a year. That's Thanks. not a small amount of time. Thank you. Yeah, it feels really nice. But I mean, thirteen is is uh, impressive. Do you? So can I just ask really quick? And we don't have to hyper focus on this. Sure. But were you like the day you decided and the lights came on and you were like, no more of this? Did you get support in it, or were you just like, I'm done? Like, I'm just done and I don't have to... I know you said you're in therapy. So, like, are you? has that been enough to kind of keep you towing the line of sobriety? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not uh, the best example of how to do sobriety because I checked into a rehab thing and then I, I think I did, I don't know, a week and I quit. Um, I didn't like the environment. The, the place that I could afford to go to was through health insurance and it it was a lot of people that were court ordered to be there, so they didn't want to be there. And I had checked myself in, and it, and it, and in Colorado, the rule was at that time at least. I don't know if it still is, but you, if you checked yourself in, it was outpatient. So I was going home at night. Um, but yeah, I got a lot of support from family. My my job at that time was amazing, um, and the boss, like the the my supervisors there were just super great. Um, I think my wife at the time was skeptical because I had tried to stop before. Um, but as she saw that, like, I was serious about it, 
and um, that I've stayed ever since. She obviously now knows that, you know, she's still not like, jury's out, he may come back to it, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, she, she, and that's the thing that people don't understand, side note, is that like, I'm divorced now, which we, we split up uh, over the pandemic, but largely due to a lot of the stuff that I did when I was drinking 10, 11 years prior to us splitting up before it, it is corrosive. Mm. It Even if you change, you're going to be people out there, you're going to be paying the price for the things you did. You're going to be apologizing for a long time if you are especially uh, problematic when you drink. And I was just, thankfully, I was never uh, physically abusive or anything, but I was definitely just like emotionally like manipulative and just shitty when I drank. This hurt part of myself uh, came out that uh, that needed to make other people feel shitty when I was drunk. And uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. You have to face that. This is going to be shitty to say, but this is my favorite interview I've ever done. And I've done a hundred of these. Like this level of honesty oh. is so my shit. Like th what you're doing is healing and saving lives. And I'm so here for it. Okay. That's amazing. All right. Well, uh, thank you for sharing so honestly. So I want to get, I want to get us to the questions that people are going to get mad at me if I don't ask. So let me just in the, so let me just stick sure. with, I'm going to ask you a couple more in this section, then we're going to move on. So okay. you is comedy like so you, you're releasing this special in August. And so mm -hmm. after the special comes out, is this like now you're going on tour? Like, can people see you live or because I know you're burning you burn an hour of material. That's that takes a long time. I don't think people realize how long it takes to actually put together an hour of material. So what's your yeah. like, are you going to go on tour with it? Or are you burning it? And you're like, it's out. I'm not doing this material again. I'll go. I'll use some parts of it. But I the thing was, is that 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 was recorded last year um so within that year i've i've already started to amass a fair amount of new ma material oh okay that's the part that people it takes well you know <laughs> no, like, i know no i don't have a full hour but it's not <laughs> i'm not brushing my shoulders off yet or anything but that that like time frame i i have uh some new stuff plus i have four other albums so like i usually will put in things from previous albums um but this is my first hour like video special i tell people all the time arrogantly probably but i'm the most accomplished comedian you've never heard of like i've done a lot so like i've been on television a bunch i had a tv show for three seasons i oh my gosh i, I yeah and I, that I wrote and created with two other people and starred in. And then I, and then I, for, um, then I've done JFL five times. Holy I've had shit. my own hour at Just for Laughs Montreal. You got to do but an hour I, at JFL? Yeah. I had my own hour at JFL and, and the New York Comedy Festival. And I didn't, uh, I've been like, I think because I've always been a little, uh, uh, scattered with my interest because I do play music at the same time. And I lived in LA while we were filming the show, but I, I don't, I'm not good at like just going to a club and hanging out, which is what you have to do to kind of get involved. And I don't begrudge anybody who does. I'm just bad at that. I'm kind of nervous. And so like, and I spent a lot of time in Denver 
yeah, I just, uh, this is my first time releasing a streaming special and the people at 800 pound gorilla media, like have been super supportive and of what I do. So that's amazing. Um, what was the name of yeah. your J? First of all, for people, I mean, enough of our audience has heard me talk about JFL before, but that's an enormous accomplishment to not only be there once, but be there Thanks. five times to get an hour is virtually impossible. So, what was the name of your show? Can people not the not the um, JFL show, but the TV show that was on for three seasons? What can we? Uh, it was on. It was on True TV, and it was called Those Who Can't. Those who can't. And okay. we played a terrible uh, teachers in a struggling fictitious Denver high school and it was on it ended uh four years ago um but yeah it was this odd footnote in my life where we sold the tv show from Denver somehow and uh made it for three seasons that's amazing so, yeah yeah it's a, it was an insane ride uh and we're still trying to do stuff but uh the media landscape is changing and now with the labor stuff like with the the strikes happening it's the the industry's just at a halt it's at a standstill from yeah. covid and now this so yeah it's a weird yeah. time it's a very weird time it is a very weird time i don't envy you being an actress <laughs> yeah <That> it is uh... <laughs> nightmarish to deal with yeah right you now. can't really see my sunburn but the last uh, handful of days have been wild and we've been outside a lot but it's been very good supportive so yeah yeah it feels it feels good for you I think we're the, doing something. The brazen and open nature with which they're just insulting us as artists is like, it, it's unprecedented to hear people saying, we're going to starve them out. Like, mm -hmm. they, we knew they were doing that and that they would take that plan. But to hear them just now saying it, because I think we exist in a culture where people think honesty is cool, even if it's being terrible. Like we're like, ah, they're, sh they're shooting straight from the hip. At least, you know, yeah, they, you know, they're awful. So anyway, thank you for, there's no picket lines here in Denver. So thank you for doing that. Oh my, I mean, thanks for saying that. And thanks for saying the quiet parts out loud. I totally, I wrote yeah. down, honestly, honesty is cool. Even if you're being terrible, that's a, that's the, that's the truth. That's the truth right there. But I'm, you know, look, I mean, we're, we're talking about it. We're having the hard conversations. So, you know, and I, I mean, like you, you noticed and you said it in the quote up top, like this is, this is just like, it's really difficult to move in one direction, but I feel like all the laborers for whatever reason, we're all kind of on the same page. So I'm holding out hope that because there's so many unions that are either about to strike or already on strike, it's like, you can't, you can't make billions off of the backs of nobody. So, you right. know, somebody's got to say yes. And if IATSE were to go. And UPS is about to. And then the the L.A. Hospitality Union, um, especially Local 11. Shout out to Local 11, who's been on the lines with yeah. us, too. They are uh, they've been doing day walkouts and then their contract is up. I Oh, she told me and I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. Sorry, everybody. But anyway, their contract is coming up. So it's it's just like it's all happening. I feel really positive about it. So. You know, I, I do too. And I think, uh, you know, uh, unions, I, I hope it reminds people in, uh, in American society, how important unions and collective bargaining is to, and how much a part of the fabric of our history it is, but it, it, it's such a weird thing. Like you, we were talking about, like you said that I said in my bit, like in, in the write up, there's, 
the problem is not only just our sheer size and the volume of the the number of human beings, but now more than ever, there's more tributaries of information and disinformation feeding into, and we're confused. Everybody is confused. No one knows. And that is the plan to confuse people. I mean, they were like, there's a great book. I encourage anybody who's listening to this. It's called Mindfuck. And it's by a guy named Christopher Wiley. He worked, he was the developer, the, uh, the, basically the algorithm and computer brains behind Cambridge Analytica. And he's just this British club kid, um, part of the queer community in London, dance community. He was, he was just a, he's just this young gay club kid who like got into programming and gathering data for this Cambridge Analytica thing. And he talks openly about how the plan was never to get people to believe one thing or another. The plan is to confuse people. It, it's confusion is m far more disorienting than giving wrong information and right information. You just throw a lot of different things and everybody becomes confused. Well, and I think I totally agree with that. I just want to get clear. It's called mind or mine fuck. Mind. With a D. Mind fuck. Got it. And, okay. it, and it's got like an asterisk. Got it. Okay. Uh, By the yeah. U or as the it's, U or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It is fantastic and terrifying. Yeah. Um, because he was like, I did this and I got excited at what we were doing and he there's great videos on youtube of wiley testifying before congress about his role in cambridge analytica and what exactly they did to uh destroy the integrity of elections and Shit. Uh, our voting processes it's terrifying oh and they're just openly saying it mm -hmm. i'm sorry i didn't mean to get no, so political but no i i'm i'm i don't disagree with anything you're saying uh we yeah. promise it'll get funny folks we're gonna get to the questions but this is fascinating to me and i <laughs> i'm I, never funny the special <laughs> isn't even funny i just wave a knife around and scream it i was i didn't say i wanted to mention that and i'm like no no the opening is so funny i was like i'm gonna leave the knife part out of this but y'all <laughs> There's definitely a knife. That's not a joke. I am the first comic to openly brandish a knife on a special. Thank you very much. And then uh, no, yeah. and say you don't know how to use it, which I thought was pretty amazing to be like, I have this thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and I can do I nothing with it. I don't know how to it. hold a knife. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for such an amazing intro and being so honest. It's my favorite shit. Okay. Yeah. So now we hope you enjoyed your abs, folks. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. built-in breaks for ads but we're not there yet okay here we go all right folks we're back and now it's time for the entrees okay as a long-standing fan of this podcast that you've listened to 6700 times ben we know we know thank you for all the dms and the constant praise we really appreciate it uh so we always do the same questions in this section and this is the part where we get into the nitty-gritty about customer service now i count okay. to be clear i count comedy as customer service but short of like a really great like heckling experience and by great i mean terrible for the most part this is where we focus on all the jobs you had before you became just super successful in what you're currently doing so the first question we always start with is what was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your money so you can say babysitting or whatever but like what was the first thing you did no 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 not taking taxes out uh, uh i worked i worked at a call center 
they opened a call center in my very little town for Prodigy Internet. That's how long ago it was, which was like, it was AOL and Prod Prodigy were the first internet service providers where you would get a disc in like a, like a, you know, a magazine or a newspaper and Prodigy, everybody, people may remember it was like a star with a circle around it. And then there was AOL. They were the two competing ones. And so I did technical support for a company and I had no idea how to use a computer. <laughs> they truly, they truly did not care whether or not I knew how to operate a computer. They just needed people to answer the phone. And uh, I did not, we did like two weeks of training and I still came out of that so confused as to, and I just got on the phone. People who are computer nerds will laugh at this. Basically what I used to do is they'd be like, I installed your disc and now my computer's frozen and it won't, because it would mess up people's computers from time to time. They would install it and they didn't have the requirements necessary. And I would be like, oh, okay. And I'd make them like, I knew how to get people to run a scan disc and a defrag, which was like, at that time would take like a day for their computer to do. <laughs> They'd start it and their computer would sit and go through this totally mindless process of doing something, which I've, I still don't know what the hell that did. And they would be like, then we'd get the, they would call back like a day later and I'd get somebody else who had been told to do that by another rep and they'd be like, that took like a day and a half. You know, they'd be so mad. My computer's still jacked up. I had no idea how to do that job. Um, but they were paying me like 14 bucks an hour in 1998 when I was like 18 years old. That was a good paycheck. Wow. Uh, so and my acting experience... And being in bands and knowing how to talk, I just, I just talked. Ah, I'm so sorry about that. What a bummer. Yeah, let's see what's going on. I just rummage around and shit. I didn't know what the, the heck. I, I, can I swear? I didn't yeah. know what the fuck I was doing. I was just like pushing. I, I screwed so many computers up. Um, but yeah, that was my first job. You're like Anthony Kiedis on the line, like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, do you want to talk about music? Dude, bro, <laughs> my God, what a bummer. And we were in the middle of Maine, so my thick Maine accent at the time, I was just been like, that's a t that is so terrible. What a bummer. You know, um, we're going to get you fixed up. We're going to get you out of here. All right. You know, I, we were just, I, but, but through that job, I did learn. They, they, I did learn computers through that. So. so did you eventually stop lying and just say like, oh, actually, here's what you actually can do? Like, did you, because people would call back and be like, yo, that defrag thing you told me to do didn't, didn't do anything. Or you just, nope, you just kept saying it. No, we had an escalation <laughs> desk if they got real irate. <laughs> I'd just be like, well, I'm going to put you through to a supervisor. I'd go to a voicemail and somebody would apparently call them back. Because <laughs> we were just like tier one support. And they gave us like, I don't know, like, I, like this book with like five things to try and then that was it so okay. but it was a sweet job and it was literally like a mile and a half from my house so and i made pretty decent cash yeah so i could see so the pitch to get you to do the job wasn't like you just needed a job it was like hey you're about to make a ton of money over minimum wage and you can walk here was that basically what sold you uh, no, I mean, it, it was like not working in a, uh, like Maine, Maine just didn't have an economy. It was like, you either go to a trade school, or you go to college, 
or you you work like at a, a sandwich shop or you know a, a gas station as a clerk there's just no economy you know i mean it's a, a very there used to be like every town in maine has the husk of some textile mill sitting in the center of it you know like an old abandoned mill there's just it was like that was the job I could get, and oh my god, it actually I, that was why they probably moved there because you know eleven, twelve, fourteen dollars an hour wasn't a lot for them, but for people in Maine that was a, a pretty decent income. So that's awesome. Okay, so you so you do that job. What's the gnarliest call you ever got? Were you ever just like, whoa, this person is not calling for tech support? They're like, they're either lonely or they're being mean, or like, was there ever a call where you were like, this ain't about computers though? Oh, I mean, all the time. Yeah, there were a lot of funny calls. There was a, a one time where a person said that there, it was an older person said that the foot pedal wasn't working on their computer. And after a while, it, it took me to realize they were using the mouse with their foot. They thought it was a, they thought it was a pedal. Oh uh, and then I had, I had another person who said that they put the, the disc in, but they heard a crunch. And I was like, this is a hardware issue. And they were explaining it. They put it in the, in the floppy, like the three and a, not the hard disc, but the floppy. And they turn that little, you remember it used to have a little like knob in the front that you would turn down to lock the disc in. That was the crunch. I guess it like, they had tried to, so it was mostly that, but one of the craziest calls I ever had was a couple just a, like having a they I would put them on hold but a typical for us was to mute the person because it was easier on the phone we had a little box that had a mute button and it didn't play music but it would just go silent so they couldn't hear me while I was talking and this couple every time that I put the phone on mute went to right back to having sex shut the they fuck were up calling no they were calling me and I would like take the headphones off and I hand them to like my boss and I'd be like, listen to this. Oh my and they're God. just like, <laughs> you know, like just going to town. And it was so gross. And eventually I had to be like, you guys can call. I, sir, I'm not going to do this. And they were like, it's fine. What's, how do we get this installed? And eventually my, my manager had me just hang up because they thought it, maybe it was a prank. I don't know, but it was aggressive. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were both into it, though. I want everybody to be aware from what I could glean. It was all consensual. On, so on all sides, it. except for yours. Everybody, <laughs> she, they both seemed into it. So, uh, yeah. so two out of three participants were stoked to be there. Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, so how many customer service jobs have you had total? You can count comedy, but like, I mean, truly the like, no. you know. The, no, I, I mean. Um, you can name them if you want and count most, them. Most of them. Oh, okay. I would say, oh, I mean, I was a phone jockey for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. And then I got sick of doing that and I worked uh, managing a liquor store <laughs> when I first moved to Denver right downtown, like this dilapidated liquor store in Denver called uh, Denver Drug and Liquor. And it was... Right, it happened to be right across the street from our apartment, and I didn't want. I'd walked out of a job. I had this office space moment. I was doing customer service for Dish Network at that time. When I moved to Colorado, I got a job doing customer service, 
and uh, in a call center, a big old call center. And I just walked in one day and sat down at my desk, plugged my headphone in, pulled up my computer and the, and the, you know, the customer service stuff. And I went to log into the queue. Anybody who's ever worked at knows the queue where the calls are. I could see there were 19 calls in queue and I could not touch the login button. And I just stood up and I went to my manager's booth with my headset and my badge. And I was like, Maria, I don't want to do this anymore. And she goes, do what? Like the escalations <laughs> thing? And I was like, no, they're just like all of this. I can't do it. This whole thing. And I'll never, I'll never forget. Maria just looked at me and then looked down and goes, yeah, I understand. Oh my God. And I was like, he was like, it's been nice knowing you. And I was like, yeah, I'm, it's nice knowing you. And, and I, it's the only job I've ever walked out of. I, I, like I just walked out. And so I got a job at a liquor store. I worked at a record store for a long time. Uh, okay, man, well, I, I mean, all of them until okay. I became a full-time stand-up comic. So I'm saying, let's see, one, two, three, four. That was I'd say five, seven. Seven? Eight. Seven or eight? I don't know. So many. So many. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're a service-based industry now, yeah. like, like yeah. economy. So. Okay. Uh, so yeah. now I have to, I have to probe at the Denver drug and liquor. First of all, the most on the nose name for uh, what they Best do. Ever. Best ever. So when you, were you, you were drinking at the time. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. how did that work? I mean, were you just like, I mean, you know, yeah, all of it, all <laughs> of it. I drank all of it. My ex was partied too. So it was like, I'd leave and I was allowed to grab like stuff oh, from the cooler. So oh, I just God. show up with beers and you know, uh, like a half pint of something. And we just sit on our porch. It actually was kind of a, that was one of my favorite jobs. I mean, there were a lot of bad experiences there just because it's, um, right in a pretty like uh, is a, a lot a lot of foot traffic it's a, where a lot of buses converge from all over the city so it's a lot of people from all over the place come down there there was a lot of drugs but we provided alcohol and cigarettes to everybody so you were kind of known like and it, it was just uh, oh I saw some stuff I saw some shit uh, care yeah. to care to elaborate? Do you feel comfortable oh, talking? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, more houseless people having sex than I care to ever see again. Like, I walked out the back door one time, and and it was like it was an alleyway. There was just trash everywhere, and it was like a, a kind of a loading area. You had to walk up a little bit of a ramp, and there's this space, and this couple, this this woman is going down on the guy in the trash. And I was like, hey, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> go, go, go. You guys get out of here. And they were like, oh, geez, sorry, sorry. So I went back inside. And then I came back out five minutes later, and now they're having sex. And I was like, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? And he was like, I didn't think, uh, he's like, I didn't think it would be a, a big deal if we just finished <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I was like, I didn't tell you to finish. I told you to get out of here. And it was full pants around their ankles in trash. Like oh. it was so depraved. Um, but he was like, hey, I thought were, you were mad about the blowjob. We we did stop what you yeah, asked me to stop. Stop the blowjob. We went straight <laughs> to full penny. And it was, 
it was the weirdest. It was the weirdest job because um, there were like there were things that we sold that were quite clearly for drug users. Like they, they we had these things called Spins. glass roses, which were they were roses. They were like a small miniature rose where you that put your crack blown out of glass. Yeah, because the whole cylinder of it was hollow. You, it's so, for crack. What else is that for? That was why. You would never, you would have thought the city was in love with just giving each other. It was a city of love. <laughs> if you didn't know that every person, like dozens of times, hey, do you guys sell glass roses? And it'd be like, yeah. yeah. And it, they were exactly that. These, this, some, some company manufactured these tiny glass roses. But they were hollow all the way through. They were glass. They were a perfect crack pipe. I mean. <laughs> we sold them for like a buck and a quarter. And we must, I, and they were, and, and the amount of single cigarettes, which you weren't allowed, you weren't supposed to do. You sold Lucy's? <laughs> yeah, we sold Lucy's for a long time. And that was like a big thing too, to for a quarter for a cigarette. And, you know, I mean, they were making... Four or five dollars when a pack at that time was eighty nine cents or a buck. It was like as like a full like three hundred percent markup on that pack. So it was like a I don't know. It was just a crazy job, but I loved it because like some mornings I could sit on like we had the 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 like the newspaper like boxes or whatever like in a line, and you could just sit on those in, on a break. And I don't know if you've lived in the middle of an area like that ever. But when it's in a good mood, it's like, it has mood. It's the electric. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, hey, man, what's going on? What's yeah. up? People stop and talk to you. They move along. You're part of like this bustling, problematic, complicated <laughs> community. And it's, I don't know. There was a part of it that I truly like loved. Pittsburgh mm. is exactly like that. I visited Pittsburgh a couple years ago and I was like, oh, this is a vibe I could super get down with. Like, it, you know, you saw drug deals and you saw prostitution and you saw like, of course, all the, the ancillary things that are part of a city. But that that sort of we're moving in lockstep with one another energetically is the it's a I miss that about like an insulated city. You know, there's problems. Yeah, I, but I, I, I think people uh, who live outside and who talk about oh, cities are bastions for crime. Yeah, there's crime. But there's also these insane communities yeah. that exist within them. I knew everybody. I think I want to, this was, this was the kind of thing that happened. There was this old man who used to always come in to the store and he would buy a jug of wine. He would buy like these big jugs of almost Chianti or, or red wine. And he would get them and he looked destitute. Like his, he was missing teeth and, He's just fucked up. And he lived above this, he lived in this thing called the 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 Congress Hotel or above this the Congress Lounge, which people in Denver would know. It's like right downtown. It's this dilapidated hotel. I think it's actually called the Hotel Newsom or something, but it's above and it's right on Colfax, which is like Denver's like kind of rough street and whatever. And he used to always come in and he was sometimes belligerent, get cigarettes. I didn't know a lot about him, but he was always there. And I remember asking the the guy, the, there was a Greek family who owned it and their son. I remember asking him, his name was Triffin. I was like, Triff, like, what is the deal with that guy? And he goes, that's, you don't know who that is? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. 
And he's like, that's this guy, that guy's name is Joe Bonner. And Joe Bonner was a very, very well-respected jazz pianist who had fell into alcoholism, but he had played with like Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock. He played with like, and Denver has an amazing rich history in jazz and the five points. And we had this club called El Chapultepec, which was very well known for its jazz. And Joe Bonner like was this old jazz musician who lived in this dilapidated hotel who was kind of drinking himself to death. He ended up getting clean. He ended up getting clean. He passed away due to age because he was old at that time. But he got clean and he started playing piano again. Oh, I'm going to stop. And all of that. Began to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was like, holy shit. This And growing up in small town America, this was what I wanted to be a part of. Like everything I saw of a city, this was what I, I want to be a part of that microcosm. Like I want to live amidst, amongst the garbage and the trash and then all the people and all the weird stories. And you know what I mean? That was, it was like, the it was the antithesis of growing up in a small area. Yeah, it was like bustling and alive. Yeah, and there's a heartbeat. Scare. Yeah, it, well, it is yeah. that too. Yeah, but you feel like you're part the of like is part of it. It is. I don't know. <laughs> so are the crack you pipes. It, you know, you know the houseless people in your area. You yeah. know they have the names. People who belong there yeah. and yeah. they have names. Yeah, Spike. Yeah, you know, like there was yeah. an old guy named Spike. How you doing, man? How's it? And he would come in and. We gave Spike food all the time. He would sometimes be a pain in the ass and you'd have, dude, you can't fucking drink right in front of the door. You know that, dude. You're going to get us in trouble. You know, everybody listened. It was like, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. Even the dealers, you knew everybody, you know. they um, Not to make this sad, but just to, so I think people don't know this. I didn't know this. I, I talked to an, an unhoused advocate who is who lives in L.A. And she was saying that the biggest thing that they have to contend with is they can put, they can move the unhoused community to tiny houses. But the reason that a lot of, especially as they start to get mentally well and get back on their meds, a lot, a lot of the, she specifically worked with vets. And she said the reason that the veterans had trouble moving into the, the tiny houses is because they, especially as they got well, they were like well this is my community and now I'm the protector of these people and I love these people and I care about these people and it's so they're trying to figure out her her next big challenge besides getting tiny homes for people is how do you move full communities so that they don't lose who they've been connected to because we're we're tribe creatures like we want to be in community drive by any of those areas drive through Skid Row drive through uh, any, you know, the, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, you see people gathered. Yes. They gather. Yes. They sit around, you know, there'll be all their tents, but they're all sitting around. They all talk all day long. There's no, there's no fucking streaming services unless they're getting it on their phone. This, it, this is, it's almost primitive yes. in a way, yes. you know, like I, I, there's a great documentary called God Grew Tired of Us, which is about about Sudanese lost boys moving here. And they live basically on, in a refugee camp and they're brought here uh, to live in the U.S. And their mental deterioration because they're separated and tr they try to assimilate them into, you know, some move to Minneapolis, some move to Los Angeles and they follow them. And they're like, there's no community here. A lot of them, there's a couple of them who are like, I'd take a refugee camp over this. I'm isolated. Like, where's my family? Like, and we do get, that is American culture. And I think like, 
that that's amazing that they point that out because like you can put somebody in a house, but if you've taken away all of their friends and all the people they had talked with and everything like that, I don't think people realize that that provides a lot, a lo sometimes a more valuable shelter than an actual structure would, you know, they, I, they say that their return to street rate is something I think I, I'm going to mess this up. Sorry, Andrea, I forget what you told me, but I think it's something like in the 90 something percent of the, like they've been given access. They're told for a year, this is covered. You can live here, shower here, be here. And e even with all of that, I think the return to street rate is something between the 80 ish to 90 something percent because they're like, again, to what you said, um, you yeah, are so you educated. Do, what would you do to, 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 to outrun loneliness? Like we'd all. That's the fundamental you know, issue in this country. It's why the opioid crisis. Don't get me started. We're going to talk about something else. We're going to. Here we go. Here we right. go. Here we go. bringing it back sad. I'm, <laughs> I'm a serious person. Okay. <laughs> We're a bad combo. We're just. We have to. Here, yeah, it's, we are. We it's funny to, now. We love to get into the dirt. <laughs> I like to put my hands in the dirt and feel the worm. Me too. Right, Let's cut up. Here we go. Back to the questions. Back to the questions. Okay. So okay. of all of the customer service jobs you've had, not including comedy, because we already know that's, that's what the answer is, which was your favorite? favorite like if you had to go back to it today you would the the, the liquor store that's what i figured okay I, I i i i don't know like there was i could get i could mine that for material too <laughs> you should you should i, I think mean, that i don't remember a lot anymore you know like it's so it was you know 20 20 years ago so now it's um but i was on my feet I got to talk to people of all different walks of life. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was also kind of a grocery store. It was like, it was a small grocery store. So You're describing a bodega, essentially. Like you are, I mean, that is yeah, really. It was, a, it was a bodega. Like, but we didn't, you know, Denver doesn't have that. Sure. Uh, like New York kind of. Well, if there wasn't uh, a cat, you don't get to claim it as a bodega. There has to be apparently no, there's a cat. No, there's no okay. cat. There so was no, no bodega. Cat. <laughs> okay and of all of those customer service jobs which was your least favorite i worked for a bagel chain uh i won't say which one but the biggest bagel chain probably <laughs> okay named after a, a physicist a smart dude got uh, it <laughs> yeah, yeah and uh i oh my god did i hate that job why i hated food service I, people are assholes about their food what that you know, is brand new what <laughs> i don't know if your listeners know this but they're insufferable when it comes to food and my god did people order the weirdest stuff i'd make stuff that i'm like this is a guy used to come in and get a hot ham and cheese sandwich on a toasted chocolate chip bagel and i bleh, oh that makes bleh. me sick i love sweets but that like makes me mashing sick. mashing it together and i'm like nah I can't even, I just hated it. And people were rude. Put the locks on. No, you're skimping on the locks. I'm like, I have to put only this amount on. I'm told they're in like pre-done sheets. I don't know. You know, like, and it was a, a breakfast spot that was only open, you know, till three or four. So you had to be up at some ungodly hour. I also, it wasn't customer service. I did pack candy boxes two weeks manually during the Christmas season temporary job where I had to stuff assorted candies into the trays of an assorted because it was a very mom and pop candy store and that was the there was no fun stories there's no happy there's no sad there's no excitement 
there was just hours of putting those chocolates into those little wax, little cellophane cups and putting them into the trays for hours on end. I, two weeks, I died every day when I had to go to that place. I joked, I'd be like, I, they were like, you can eat as much candy. And I, I was like, how much would it take for me to kill myself <laughs> in here, or for me to end it? Because the, the, the median age of everybody else packing was 70 something years old and I was 24. And Ooh. the guy who owned it wouldn't let us listen to the radio. No, come on. Come on. No. No radio. You are no lying. I'm not you, even fucking making this up. How do you how do you how do you not like especially someone prone to like anxiety and depression, me too, my brain would go nowhere good. Like, that's all I did. I just did laps <laughs> and I picked apart every part of myself. I just I wanted to leave Maine and it was a way to make money very quickly. They oh. needed somebody. And so I just suffered through it. But that was the longest two or three weeks of my life where I was like, I've never worked a job this bad in my life. What was the, yeah. like, I don't understand. Can you, I'm, I'm going to hyperfixate on this. Did he explain the logic for not turning on the radio? I don't understand. He thought that it would affect productivity. And then he was like, it's, there were, there was myself. He was probably in his sixties or seventies. And then there was a group of women and he's like, plus we all listen to different stuff. It's going to be, let's just talk. And I had nothing. I mean, I, I didn't have anything in common. I looked similar to what I do now, just younger. I mean, I had all the tattoos. Like, that. I don't know how they didn't, like, why. I, they just needed somebody really bad. For our listening and, audience, uh, Ben is covered, minus his head, basically, down to the fingertips as tattoos everywhere. Full sleeves. Full sleeves. Hands are yeah. covered. Like, there is uh, very yeah. little free, free, what do they call it? Free skin? Free space? Whatever yeah, tattoo people space. call it. Yeah, yeah, free, yeah. Very Open little free skin. space. Open skin on this man's body. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah I don't but know. Yeah, so, I don't know. It was awful. But it, it got you awful. out of Maine. So that's a good, you know, it, or it yeah, fed yeah, yeah. the getting you out. Yeah. Okay. So what's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? And you can't say not listen to the radio because we already know that. So like, what's like genuinely to, to, the weird? To wrestle juggalos. I, I, I feel like you just said to wrestle juggalos, but that's probably not what you said. I said wrestle juggalos. <laughs> Can you please elaborate I on that? at a record store and they encouraged us to track down. They, they, they would say... You don't have to catch shoplifters, but if you do, you'll get a $50 bonus on your paycheck if you catch one. And we were getting just fleeced because it was, and uh, so one day it was like, uh, the in, in, I worked at this record store called Independent Records next to the Ogden Theater here in Denver and ICP was playing and they were doing an in-store and my manager was like, these people are thieves and we always lose a lot of product. And man, we beat the shit out of so many juggalos that day. And I felt bad on it. We wrestled them. I mean, like we just see, because we had cameras and it'd be like, got him. And just like a full <laughs> tackle on it. And uh, yeah, because we were like punk and hardcore kids and we were so into just, I kind of feel bad about that because I like juggalos now. I think juggalos <laughs> are kind of funny and harmless people. But we, we have quite our we had a we have a wide demographic of people that listen. So ICP stands for Insane Clown Posse. Juggalos are the people that paint their faces in black and white to match the the uh, the Insane Clown Posse members of the band. And uh, for our, it's always you don't sunny. Even know it? What kind of cl you're not even down to clown, are you? 
You're not even. I can tell you're not down to clown. Shut up. Keep you it moving. Uh, this is that. That is who they are. And for any, it's always sunny fans. There's a great couple of episodes where a guy plays a juggalo at a high school, and it's so funny. But okay, so what? He's the greatest character. He's ever. so funny. It's such a good yeah. episode. It's so funny. Uh, anyway, so what Ben is describing is, I okay. So I want to. Shout out to former guest Ithamar Enriquez, who worked for The Gap and said that their policy was it wasn't technically stealing until you crossed the threshold into like the outside area. So how did mm-hmm. these owners because you could get sued. So like how could the because they could be like, oh, I just accidentally put it in my pocket. I it accidentally put it down my pants. So what was the like how did the how did the owners have your back in a way where they were like, I don't beat know. the fuck out of I mean, the, the other part was like. Yeah, I think they just, they were playing chicken with the fact that uh, these juggalo kids are probably not going to get an attorney. <laughs> going to do a class action and lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, you'd see them, they'd be stuffing stuff into their into the front of their belt line or they'd be putting it into backpacks. Like, And usually we had to watch them. But this particular day, there was it was like the gloves were off. Like my manager Candace was just like she'd had it. No, you can get them if you see them. Get them because it was an in store. So like, and because I, I'm actually a, 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 oh, here, a we juggler. here we go. Here we go. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not opposed or like you. Okay, are. okay. okay? <laughs> this uh, is a hardcore juggalo. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. So so um, violent J was silent signing stuff at the counter and there was just this line weaved in and out and they would be stuffing things not all of them a very small percentage most people were fine look at you uh, defending but, the yeah. juggalos now now you're changing your reputation well not everybody no the, there's some no, good not jugs. all ju- hashtag not all juggalos <laughs> Uh, Trust so. and believe. That's what I'm calling this episode. Done. Yeah. Hashtag not all juggalos. <laughs> oh, I can't. Okay, so that was the weirdest thing you were asked to do was beat the shit out of yep. these poor little clown face nerds. Okay, was was there an incident that, that made them ask to speak to your manager at any of these jobs? Where they're like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Get me like they would escalate it. Yeah, I mean that happened all the time and. Call service feels call centers feel like they're always trying to get to somebody else. I ended a guy's business because, like, I worked for so I worked for retail services at Dish Network, and basically, Dish Network has um, companies that are licensed dealers of it. You'll see we we uh, we install Dish Network, right? And basically, they're like private electronic companies. You know, they sell electronics but they also will do dish installs and the way they're incentivized is dish network pays them to do the install so they do it up front and then what they would do is mail in their paperwork with the upc code from the boxes that they did the install with of all the equipment stapled to the invoice and then we would pay them for all their equipment so it was like they did the install. We'd get they'd get two hundred bucks for the install, and plus we'd pay for all our equipment. And that was and Dish Network makes their money by the person keeping the service for a year or whatever, right? So this guy had a new company and he'd been cranking them out. And he was like, "I'm just wondering when I'm going to start seeing the money for all these installs and the equipment I did." And I looked, and he'd been 
taking copies of the UPC code, not cutting the actual, he'd been photocopying them. And he had done, I mean, thousands of dollars he'd invested in this. And my boss was like, no, we can't pay him for that. And I said, well, do you have the original UPC codes you could send us? And he was like, I threw all the boxes away. I mean, I threw them in recycling into the dumpster. Like, I sent you guys them, their photocopies. And I'm like, I can't. I'm sorry. I, and I went to my boss and my boss was like, you can escalate him to me, but I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, this dude's crying on the phone. Like, he's going to, he's like, you, I'm going to have to close my doors. I can't. I can't afford this. Like, but do you uh, think he was running and, a scam? Like, part of because when I initially heard you describing no. it, I thought, oh, he's he's running some kind of scam. It was just no, he literally didn't he just cut it misunderstood. out. Oh, my I think he God. thought like cutting the cardboard out is an incredibly like clumsy thing to do. Like actually putting the UPC like cut out of the code. And he, he told me on the phone that he had to close his, he was going to have to close his business. He was crying and I hated that so much. Oh man. That yeah, was that like feels like shit. Okay. Well, then I'd want to speak to your manager too. If you were shutting down all my hopes <laughs> yeah. and dreams, I'd be like, yeah. Hey, I can't feed my family. Can I talk to Bob ahead of you? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That doesn't feel good. Yeah. That doesn't feel good. Okay. No. Well, do you think, uh, no, we've already asked that. Has a Yelp review, well, no, I guess you would have been out of customers. You would have probably been already doing, well, have you ever actually yeah. gotten a Yelp review on comedy clubs? Like sometimes people review, like I have terrible Yelp reviews from when I worked at a comedy club, but did you, do you have any Yelp reviews that were like, we saw Ben tonight and it was terrible? No, I mean, there's been voicemails left for sure because that happens from time to time at the club. Who? Calls a comedy club to bitch about a comic. Bored people. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I mean, just, uh, he was crass. One person I kicked out of the club and they were like, I kicked out of the show, like, because they were drunk and talking. That happens all the I time. Mean, you know, you're just like, yeah, all the time. You're like, just go, just get leave. out. You're disruptive. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so they'll leave voicemails for the club, but no, never a Yelp review. Honestly, I wish I could. Cause I know I would, it's kind of fun. I'd love to, for marketing purposes, like just yeah. screen cap it and put it as my Facebook banner. I said you know, I was, like, there was going to, I'm going to do an episode where I just read all the Yelp reviews that mentioned how terrible I am. And I was like, I should still do that, but I haven't done it yet. I need to. Are they still up? Oh you yeah. Totally oh, they're crispy. Oh, awesome. They're real. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> they feel good. And like, to be fair, working at a comedy club, like your sections are too big. So so like with them calling me a slow server, 100% correct. I saw them twice in a three-hour show. But yeah. yeah, some of them were just mean. So whatever, fuck them. Okay, what was the last straw that got you out of any of these jobs? Now, you told us about the the call center. At, I wrote down direct dish network where you were like, yep. hey, no more. But was there ever a last straw at any of these jobs where you were kind of like, I am out so fast? Yeah, I got robbed at I was gonna um, ask. the record store. Oh, at the record store? Yeah. I figured it was at the liquor store. Ooh. No, no, the liquor store, like... You had the, the neighborhood protecting you. I probably you. shouldn't say this because I don't... I don't know that the the family... I don't know. I wonder sometimes if they were connected thousand percent. to like the, Greek, the Greek mafia. If you were never like, robbed, a thousand percent they were. Yeah. Now it just was not a thing. They never touched that. Everybody behaved in that place. Interesting. Um, and the Greek uh, population at that time, like, con 
like had a lot of businesses on Colfax. So no, I was working. There was the big record store and then there was this big theater called the Ogden and then right beside it, it was called the Independent Annex and it had mostly just used stuff. It was like a small store beside it that sold used stuff and and like head shop. It had, you know, bongs and pipes and papers and posters and it was only manned by one person and I got we had been warned by the cops that somebody had been a serial robber had been going to the stores and this guy just came in and my radar went off immediately he was just acting weird he was waiting for everybody to leave the store and he was just kind of not really and he wouldn't take his hand out of his coat pocket and then he came up to the counter and he put two single incense down on the counter, which is like 15 cents or something. And I was like, uh, it's whatever, say 15 cents. And he just, he put a quarter down and I was like, uh, and I handed him change from the share of change. Smart. You knew not to open the register. Open the you knew. And uh. then he just stood there and stared at me and I was like, fuck, I'm going to get robbed. And then he was like, this is, he's like, he said some. he said, this is a 38 and give me just the large bills from the register. And I just held my hands up and I was like, dude, I don't make enough to deal with that. And I gave him all the 20s and what was underneath the tray. And he just walked out. They caught him that night. Oh, they caught him. That was the last store. Yeah, I called the police and they caught him. He tried to he tried to rob a restaurant further down the street later on. And he was just like this little kind of sad looking little white dude. I don't know. He was he looked like he had a drug problem. Yeah, and probably. He, he really honestly had I not had there not been a gun, I would I like this guy was not intimidating in any manner. Like yeah. he was just this little dude. I don't know. It just a, I don't know. I kind of felt for him because mm-hmm. he was not in his right mind. Like it was it's not a very good day. brazen. It was yeah. middle of the day. Yeah. Like he just walked in. Yeah. So those are the people that are really making good choices. Okay. Well, um, do you, are you a tipper? You've not worked food service really, except for that one um, space cadet bagel place. So like, what was the, do you, cause it's a tough question if you haven't bartended or actually like waited tables, but do you, are you a believer in tipping? Oh yeah, for sure. Because my my wife who got me the job, she ended up becoming a bartender and a wait part of the wait staff at the comedy club. And I just saw how important her tips were to her. So mm-hmm. I think even today we're like very close my my ex-wife and I and she's uh, just a really awesome person. I think if she found out that I hadn't uh, that I was tipping, she'd kill me. <laughs> Uh, so, and, yeah, she, and you're the father just, of her son and she's like i'd still yeah, murder you she waited <laughs> tables for a long time yeah she's a social worker now but oh, bless like, her. she was Oof, that's uh, yeah she 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 would kill me she'd be like what are you doing you know you're trashy <laughs> would you ever not tip is there a context in which you're like this person doesn't deserve it no wow so even if you got bad service yeah Okay. I feel bad. I mean, it, it, even if I'm getting bad service, is one of two things: they're either new or they're having a shit day, which is both parts of service. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I may go to fifteen percent or ten percent, but I'll I'll always leave a tip. 
Wow, that's nice. And I never leave change tips. Thank you if, for if knowing the minimum's that. Minimum's a buck. Thank you for knowing. Even if it's a buck a beer, I'm not going to give 15 cents on that. I'll give a buck. Thank you for that. You know? I don't know. It's I agree. A kind of a. I think it's a shit way of deferring costs to the consumer, but uh, it's not your fault. I agree um, with that. As, okay. Yeah. All right. Two more questions in this section. Were you ever fired from a customer service job? So you ever fired? Shit, if so you get Oh, I was fired from a convenience store, yeah. For going to jail, which it wasn't. Uh, it's you not your use fault. You can't use yeah. jail. I told Cammy, my manager, I says I was in jail for yelling at some cops. And 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 you and and you don't understand clearly why I wasn't here. I mean, what a what a brat. What a terrible manager. Well, come down from your ivory tower, Cammy. <laughs> Yeah, I got in trouble for getting into uh, for like a noise complaint, and the cops showed up, and I ended up mouthing off and uh, wow, being a real big enough peckerhead that people uh, they wanted to arrest me, and so they arrested me and put me in the drunk tank, and I missed my shift for work the next day. Ben. And so I called and I was like, "Cammy, I went to jail. I'm sorry. I was, I came in for my shift, and he was like." Going to jail is not an excuse <laughs> to not come into work. You're like, first of all, it should be. First of all, do you need a note from the judge? Because I could get one. Do you need a valid, it, There was a very nice guard who will tell you I was there the whole time. This is not a lie. He remembers so, me. Yeah, I was yeah. yelling. <laughs> it was a Circle K convenience store in Boulder, Colorado, and I got fired. Well, shame on them for not understanding the plight <sighs> he was still writing a strongly I'm putting it together I'm Good. still in draft form of a strongly worded letter, letter. to the Circle K headquarters <laughs> where you uh, name names right. Good for you Alright Worst customer you've ever had to deal with or an archetype of who the worst customer would be Worst customer Dang that is hard mm -hmm. There's been a lot of I mean call centers are just you're kind of always dealing with call centers I mean, I mean, with rough customers, I would think, I mean, there were a number of phone calls that would go on for an hour or 90 minutes of just, ugh. But because the one of the places had a policy where I wasn't allowed, we weren't allowed to hang up. We could just broken record, you know. So Sir, they had to disconnect the call. Anymore. Yeah, I, they had to. Um, and so, and... I do understand that uh, to a certain extent. Me too. But I mean, after a while of a person just screaming at you, no. unless it became abusive, like unless they were making threats. Um, but if they were just upset about their issue, you had to try to get them off the phone on their own volition. And, that sounds oh, like there were some that just dragged on where I'd just be like, I don't, sir, I don't know what I can tell you anymore. There's nothing more I can do for you. There's nothing more. And I understand that, sir. There's nothing more. It would just get, and I, I hear you, sir, and I sympathize. And it would just, it makes me cringe. I'd have nightmares about that. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go back there if we keep striking as long as we do. No, you won't. Don't you dare put that out there. My God. No, I can't. I can't. I can't go back to what I was doing before. I can't. No, you can't. I won't with you. Like We'll, we'll no. start a kibbutz, an entertainer kibbutz. Uh, yeah. 
So. Oh, God. You're right, though. It's just the the broken record of like the person who doesn't understand that there's literally nothing you can do. That is I think that's the first time I've someone has used that answer. So I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, I would agree. That would that would drive yeah. me insane. OK, well, folks, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. Okay. What's the <laughs> What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working at any of these jobs? You don't get to count comedy. Nicest thing mm-hmm. that anybody has ever done while I was working one of these jobs. I mean, when I when I worked at the liquor store, you know, on my birthday, people would bring things in or they would say happy birthday like these like, yeah, I mean, they were like it was like a neighborhood thing. Um, that was always super nice. Leaving like very uh, positive, like like t- I want to speak to your manager. I had helped the person, and then they call in and immediately want to talk to a manager, and I'd be like, I don't know what they want. I don't know. They were upset, and then it would be to like compliment. They were very kind. They like that kind of thing. I don't think people realize goes a long way in those environments of like just saying like, thank you for uh for doing all of that Mm -hmm. god there's been you know when you look back over your whole work catalog trying to figure out one that like stands out but it's hard i would say it's mostly things like that yeah yeah i wish i had something funnier no that's i mean it's i get it i i think that that's very kind and i i try to do this when i go to restaurants i'll always ask to speak to the manager if i had a good experience and you can see their faces as they come to you of like oh here we go this fucking rich bitch i'm not rich but they're i'm white so they could assume that and then be like uh what and then watch their whole energy shift when you're like hey the server was really awesome and we had a really good time and then they're like oh my god here's a come back and see us here's a blah 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 like all right because you just get yeah, shit on all day they're like you say nice things <laughs> <You can't. laughs> like you can be a customer more often yeah because it's so shitty so shitty most yeah. of the time yeah um okay what's the best time you've ever had at work oh man again you can't count comedy one one time when i worked at that company i'll just say their name because they were great uh the, the one that helped me get sober before like the, I, there was a call center I worked. They were an insurance aggregator. Like they basically helped people find auto and home and life insurance. It was called NetQuote. It was a it was a website. And uh, one time, um, we had all decided the whole like a bunch of us had put together a trip to Vegas for literally like eighteen hours. We got off work on a Friday. We had uh, vans pick us up. We had arranged it. All of us had worked it out. Everybody threw in and paid their part. Two vans showed up. About 20 of us get in it. We get on an airplane. We party at the airport at DIA at the airport. We get on a plane. We arrive. A party bus picks us up. And we, we got a hotel room. No one slept. We stayed all the way till the morning. And our flight left at noon. And everybody fragmented and there's and broke off and then came back together. And there's these insane stories of where people ended up. And uh, it was just this amazing. And to this day, I still keep in touch with a lot of people from that place because it was just they did. a That company was one of the, the those tech companies that like 
did a good job. Of, like they would have a massage therapist come in a couple times a week. You know, they 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 like knew it was a shitty environment to work in on the phone, so they like they did a lot of stuff for us. So. That's brilliant. I will say I stayed at a marketing job for far too long because all of us were in our very early 20s. All of us were just partying our faces off. And so they were like, oh, okay, we need to bring a keg into this location. Oh, okay, we need to have a float at Mardi Gras. Oh, okay, we need to like, they just spoke to us being degenerates. And I stayed at that job way longer than I should have because I was like, well, this job sucks, but the culture is off the chain. So I'm going to stay. If you create that, jobs just don't understand. Like, mm -hmm. That you create that environment, people will stay for a long time and you don't have to retrain people repeatedly. It's if you take it's an odd thing. If you take care of your employees, they stay and they're happy. Now, wait, what, what? weird, bizarre fucking concept in the human beings. Yeah, that's so. so weird. I don't understand. My brain broke when you said that. Yeah, isn't yeah, there, yeah. there's some statistic. I don't know. Of course, I don't know it offhand, but it's something like it costs X amount more to hire a new employee than it does to invest in. In the current like base of employees that you have or whatever it's it, it meets their bottom line anyway we should mm -hmm. we should go on a ted talk tour and just let people yes, know about things okay what they is know it a they, lot of they the do. Companies do they do yeah. um what's the best lesson you've personally learned from working in customer service probably what you said like to not assume based on tone and i still kind of take that in stand-up to not assume by facial expression or tone that you know what someone's going to say. Mm. You know, to like try to, you know, hear them out. And also like uh, the power, and as much as I've talked today, that this will seem as if I haven't learned that, but the power of like listening. Even if uh, there were so many things I diffused by just letting them talk and vent and being like, that must have pissed you off. I'd be pissed or just being like, so like, tell me about that. Like get to that point where I just like draw it out because they'd obvious, they'd usually calm down. You know, you're the first person that's listened to me. And it really, you realize I'm sure you did. Uh, most people just want you to hear them. Half the time it's not even, well, they're not complaining. They're just complaining about everything. Like, it's it it's why they say uh, in Australia I just read this that the the um uh what's the word esthetician who are the people that cut the hair I keep wanting to say beautician because I'm a boomer whatever the fucking the people that do the snip snips of the hair they are also side trained in psychology and therapy because in Australia they recognize that that's usually the person that someone just like downloads all of their like my husband does this my wife does this my whatever and uh they said that it has helped their overall like they've done like an overall quality of life check for people in Australia and ever since they started training their like barbers and hair people to also do therapy that it's like changed everything I always said when I would do happy hour bartending at this really tiny bar that I was there to listen and that if you and I had regulars that would come like clockwork every day and it was like oh Kate this I got to tell you this and it was kind of fun but it was also kind of like Right, 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 right. But I am on the clock, so I do have to serve all these other people. But it's, yeah, there's a piece of, of working at customer service that really is truly just listening. So I would agree with that. I think yeah. that's really good advice. And last question in this section, what's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? The same. Listen. listen. Like, uh, like, listen, slow down. It's not personal. 
like uh, it's real fucking easy to take it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm probably preaching to the choir to people who listen. I mean, they know it's real hard also to not react. Uh, so yes. probably say that to customers, like just be aware that when a person is reacting behind the counter that you're dealing with, uh, they're probably also not reacting just to you. That's been their whole day in front of them where they're rushing around. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it goes a long way to just try to hear what the person's saying. Wow. Well, this was just what a delightful, lovely, honest, wonderful interview, Ben. I want people to find you. I want them to watch your special. I want them to find you on the socials. Like, please plug, promote, do all of the things right now. Uh, yeah, you can find me at BenRoy00 on all of the social meds. And uh, I have a podcast called The Grawlix Saves the World, G-R-A-W-L-I-X, where uh, myself and the two dudes that I created the show with, we we take on self-help challenges every week to try to better ourselves. And we do it uh, sort of competitively as we're kind of competitive. So we'll try to be better at being better than each you know what i mean we're trying to be better than each other at being better (laughs) the most male shit of all time (laughs) yeah 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 it's still so it's real stupid and um my band uh spells rules.bandcamp.com it's spells you can find it too wherever you stream stuff but my new special hyena is august 10th Oh, 10th. I'm sorry. I think out. I said the 11th. I'm so sorry. 10th. No, August no, no. 10th, you're August fine. 10th. 11th. They can watch it too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the great thing. It'll be streaming for free on uh, YouTube uh, so they can check it out. Amazing. Uh, well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind. It will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us at Service from... Wow, Kate, you've never done this before. If you want to get in touch with us directly at Service from Hell, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from y'all, and we really appreciate all the emails and outreach. Remember, if you can't afford a tip, you can't afford to go out, so don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easy easier that way thanks for being on ben this was so fantastic you got it you rule and thanks for having me this was such a pleasure all right everybody thanks for listening good night